This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Time you click the button, you know what it is. It's the Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. As always, I am your host, Mr. Adam X. Do me a favor, follow at Mr. Adam X on Instagram. Follow Pursuit Podcast underscore on Instagram. I know, underscore, it's tough, but we gotta do what we gotta do. Follow at Auto Collective. That's where everything funnels through. That's the channel. Uh, you see a lot of Jabber's face, so I apologize because he has a great face for radio, but a awful face for Instagram, but we love him. So follow at Out of Collective, follow at Mr. Adam Max. A lot of, lot of things to do this week. Leave a review. If you leave a review and you screenshot it and you send it to me, I'll send you a nice little care package. Don't expect much, but you know, a couple stickers, maybe a hat, who knows? Leave a review, mention my name. That's important. Leave a review on iTunes. Adam X, put it in there so people know. People know what show to listen to. It just helps fuel this machine. It's the cheapest fuel you can buy. I promise you. Leave a review. My episode this week is so good. It's probably the most important conversation I've ever had on the podcast. But before we even talk about that... We're going to talk about my sponsors this week. I've got three lovely sponsors for this episode. My first sponsor this week, Fisher Skis. I know, guys, it's 90 degrees this week, but ski season's coming. So it's time to start thinking about the skis you want, the ski that you're going to be on all winter. Uh, We are going to have a full gear guide to talk about all skis. But right now, I'm talking to you specifically about Fisher Skis. The new Ranger series, no BS, is so good. Like, man, I this might seem biased, but it's not. That ski is so good. It makes you a better skier. It is so much fun. It's stiff where it needs to be stiff. It's soft where it needs to be soft. And it's playful. Like, skiing should be fun. I don't need to be on 15 pieces of metal that's stiff and it blows my knees out. And, then like, I want it to be stiff, but I want it to be fun. And my favorite ski in that line is the Ranger 102. So go to fishersports.com and check it out. And now for, since we're still in the summer, we'll talk about Onyx Maps. Onyxmaps.com. Onyx Backcountry. If you haven't downloaded this app yet, download the app. Use code Out of Bounds. Save a couple bucks on your yearly subscription. But like every time I use this app, it's changed, and I mean that for the better. It's upgraded. There's new overlays. There's new topos. That it is like forever evolving, and it's one of the greatest apps I've ever used in my entire life. It's a guidebook in your pocket. There's over 650,000 miles of trails. So for someone like me who's done seven miles of trails, I've got a lot more exploring to do. They have 10,000, over 10,000 adventures like logged into the app. So if you are somewhere, you can look up how to go somewhere, what to do, anything like that. Different routes. It's all on there. Onyxmaps.com. Use code out of bounds. Save you a couple bucks in your yearly subscription. And also, if you're a hunter or an off-road guy, they have an app for that. And they're just apps for the outdoors. Great company, great people. Again, onxmaps.com. And now for my last wonderful sponsor this week, Spot Insurance. We're working with our great friends at Spot again because accidents happen. In our world, they're inevitable. But with injuries come uncertainties and over-the-top medical bills and out-of-pocket expenses, which usually end up hurting even worse. At Spot Insurance, we take the pain out of dealing with costly injuries by providing low-cost, straightforward injury coverage whether you got insurance or not. That's why some of the biggest names out there, like the Icon Pass, Taos, USA Cycling, Red Bull Last Stand, and more include Spot's injury coverage as a benefit with their products. For all you skiers and riders out there, you've got choices when hitting the mountains. Make sure you find one that covers you with Spot because it's a lot easier to go big when you know someone's got your back. 
Interested in offering spot with your season pass or lift tickets this season? Visit autobounds.getspot.com. And I'll link that in the bio. And make sure your riders are covered anytime they're on the mountain. That's outofbounds.getspot.com. And now, finally, for my episode, my guest. I told you this was one of the most important conversations I've had on the show. It also happens to be episode 69, so we'll celebrate that. But my guest this week is Katra Corbett. And maybe it's Corbet. I think it's Corbett. She has overcome addiction and an eating disorder. And she's so open and bubbly and shares her entire story. She also happens to be a 57-year-old ultra runner. She's run over 100 100-mile races, and we get into that. She's written a book. She's a public speaker. Honestly, this conversation is so fantastic, and Katra is so amazing, and it's such a great combo. A little warning, we do talk about some serious things like sexual assault and drug abuse, so please be advised, and if you are sensitive to those situations, please do not listen. Um, But with that being said, again, thank you for this conversation, Katra, because it was amazing, and thank you for sharing your story. So here's the episode. Hi, I'm Katra Corbett, and I'm 57 years old. I'm an ultra runner from Bishop, California. Been clean and sober for 28 years, and I love running super, super duper, duper, duper long, long distance, meaning like 200 plus mile races. We couldn't be more opposite humans. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm reading your stats you know, like there's plenty of articles written on you and I'm looking and I'm like, does she know that there are like five K's like these exist <laughs> and you can never just... run a five K <laughs> not but, even if my dogs haven't even run a five K race. <laughs> how many, and we're going to jump all over the place. Cause I yeah. got notes and I got <laughs> how many miles, or I guess, do you know how many miles that you've run? Oh yeah, over a hundred thousand miles. Um, I think it's over a hundred and six thousand. I tally it up each year and I bring it over so I know exactly. And I have a log book that I keep a log so I know every year exactly how many miles I run in a year. How do you feel? Good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten slower as I've gotten older, but that's okay. That's all part of life. You know, it's like. You just got to do things differently because it takes a little bit longer to recover than I used to. I mean, I was fine doing multiple back to back, like hundred milers. Now I need like a, a week in between <laughs> to rest a little bit and do lower mileage. But you know, I'm I'm still going strong. You know, I do a lot of cross training and living up in the mountains at a high altitude is actually been beneficial. You know, and, and but when you're running long distance, especially like the 200 mile races, you definitely become slower. So if I was to train, I definitely want to do Badwater 135 one more time. I've done it twice. And that's the race that goes from uh, Badwater Basin and Death Valley, Valley all the way up to Mount Whitney Portals. And, you know, I'd have to get back out on the road to get my speed back because I'm so much in the mountains and you do a lot of hiking in these 200s because, you know, you're you're going to be out there for three days, you know, so you're not running everything and you're like, you know, 80 hours, you know, with only a couple hours sleep. (laughs) So, so yeah, I got to train for speed if I want to start, uh, running like back on the road or like shorter distances. And and you're still (laughs) extremely competitive in this. Like, yeah, you know, I was the oldest female finisher this year at uh, Tahoe 200, which is nuts. I mean, I don't, age is just a number. I'm 57, but I don't feel, I know I don't look 57 and I don't feel like when you think about your parents, when they were 57, I'm like, they seemed really old. I'm like, I don't seem that old to me. You know, it's just, it's just a number. And I just think, you know, healthy living, healthy eating. I've been a vegan 28 years, you know, just all of that comes into to play on, you know, how you feel on the inside and how you look on the outside is, you know, just being healthy and eating healthy and taking care of your mind and body. So, yeah, it's such, I'm 36 and sometimes I feel like I'm 70, but then 
people like you who are 57, 50, 56, 57, I'm sorry. But yeah. I'm like, I have no excuses. Like, but it's such, no, it's so inspiring to be like, <laughs> like you're just being you, which is genuine from what I've gathered in my, you know, Googling and 10 minute yep. conversation. But it's like, it's a number that it is just a number, but we give it value. And yes, like you can value it high or low or like, and it's just such I a, just, go ahead. Just having, being 57, it's like, that means you've just had a lot more experiences than somebody at 36. When I was 36 and doing ultras, I had, you know, less experience because I didn't start running ultras until I was like 32. So, you know, I was newbie, but from 32 on to where I am now, I've just been going the whole entire time, like getting all these, you know, memories, building all of that and building on an experience of just being out there. And, you know, this was before, you know, there was social media and all of that. When I started doing hundred milers, there was like, no, like Googling to figure out how to do this shit. You just did it. <laughs> you just learned, like winged it. You know, it's like I had Ultra Running Magazine, which was a black and white magazine back then. And that was your pretty much a resource. And there was an ultra list that was like a email website where people exchanged information, but it wasn't anything like we have so much knowledge. Now there is actually no excuse to do these things because there's so much free advice if you do a Google search on things, you know, and you know, when I did it, there was none of that. So I like to say, yeah, I learned the hard way. So everybody else has it easier these days. I might argue that though. Cause I feel like I Google <laughs> it and I see all you guys and you're like napping like mid run and exhaust. And I'm like, I don't want to do that versus maybe if I couldn't like ignorance is bliss, right? Like you don't, when you started, you didn't know what you were getting into. No, you were just not like, I'm going to go for it. And you just yeah, figure it out. True. Now I can Google so much that I'm like, and you're like, oh, that looks crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't want to jump in. Answer. I'm out. I'm good. This doesn't make, <laughs> this seems. I love the 200 mile distance. That's what I love is like, you are, it's just a shit show. You know, it's like problem solving the whole entire way. You know, it's like, you have to go like up some aid stations are like 22 miles away. And in the middle of the night on day two or three, and you're out there, you have to be reliable and you have to be able to think for yourself when you're out there in the middle of nowhere by yourself, you've got to have the carry enough food. You have to carry all your required gear. And if you need to sleep, you got to sleep on the ground because if you just keep moving, when you're in that delusional state without at least taking like a 15, 10, 15 minute nap, you can make really bad decisions. <laughs> and we do carry like our phone with our Gaia map because even though you've seen a, a marker like five minutes ago, you're like, I'm off freaking course. I know I'm off course. Like if you don't have a pacer or anybody else around you out there, you're like second guessing yourself a lot when you're like lack of sleep. So I, that's what I like. That to me is a big challenge. It's just being out there trying to figure it out, you know, and trying to keep it together. <laughs> Did you? That's my fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's. I'm like, I'm always blown. Every athlete I talk to on the podcast, I'm always like, wow, we're not the same at all. <laughs> but did you enjoy it? Like, now it makes sense to you. This is your life. You've done it for 20 plus years. You know what to expect, and you 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 thrive in the in the suffering per se. Yes. Your first one. What did it look like? My first hundred miler, Rocky Raccoon, it was horrible. I made every mistake possible. I didn't know anything, didn't know anything about nutrition, didn't know that my feet were going to swell. I mean, it was in Texas. It was humid. Who thinks, you know, in February, it's going to be like 85 degrees and like 80% humidity. It's like I was living in California in the Bay Area. It was like always comfortable temperatures, you know, always like 60, 70, you know, like around that time of year. So I had no idea like that my feet were going to swell and had all these like nutritional issues and didn't train, you know, with foods that I would be eating and just like got completely loopy out there. But I pull it together because I was there to finish. But I learned so much like the hard way, which is a good way to learn. You know, it's <laughs> like when you can survive doing something 
really hard and not knowing it. I didn't have any friends that were runners. I mean, I was there by myself, you know, with an ex-boyfriend who wasn't even a runner. And I just had to figure it all out. And I mean, I met so many amazing people at that race that were like giving me advice, knowing that, you know, cause I'm like, it's my first hundred. I don't even, and they're like, you need to take a caffeine pill. You're falling asleep. And in my mind, that was like doing drugs again. <laughs> so I like had this whole revolution revelation, like, I, I guess I have to do this to stay awake. I mean, I was falling asleep on my feet, stumbling around and the squirrels like, you got to take a caffeine, you got to take caffeine. And there was no coffee at the aid stations. And I didn't even drink coffee back then. So, you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to take a half a caffeine pill and try to figure it out. And boy, did that make a huge difference? <laughs> I woke up, I was like, okay, you know, I'm was still, you know, blistered feet was, it was horrible, but my mind was so like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish. So, you know, but I, that was a lot of suffering. And immediately when I was done, I was like, oh my God, I got to sign up for another one. I'm not sure even if I like that. <laughs> my ex-boyfriend, he was like, what, the boyfriend at the time, he was like, what are you doing? Cause I was crawling on the floor. I couldn't even stand in the hotel. My feet were that badly effed up. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to find my ultra running magazine. Cause I want to see when the next hundred is. So I can sign up. And he was like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so that's how like right away I was like, bam, into it, you know, into like wanting to do better and, and do hard things and, you know, get through this. Cause I didn't know anybody that did that. And, you know, and then of course I started meeting everybody and, and, and started training with people. And, and, and that was always fun. At what point did you think, or maybe know that this could be a career? never did. I just did it. I, I told myself when I got into running, like I, I'm going to do it and have fun. And when it stops being fun, I mean, of course you go through highs and lows out there, but if it was like ever like a continuous suffering and I was hating it, I wouldn't do it. And so I always made the point of, I got a second leaf, lease on life that doing these things, I wanted it to be fun for me. I didn't want it to be like, <laughs> a chore or a job or, you know, a endless suffering for hours and hours on end. So I, you know, I just love doing what I do. And I, and I just happen to be, you know, do well in the longer distances, you know, and I've just been lucky that I can still be doing it after all these years. Cause I've seen people come and go that are my age and they're not running anymore. And I, once again, I, you know, go back to like, eating right and cross training, you know, you can't just run and get in shape to run these races. You have to lift some weights. You have to do like plyometrics and do other things, you know, and as you get older, I'm finding out like to keep muscle on, it's a lot harder. Like I've, you know, to add muscle, you know, you got to work at it when you get older. Cause you just start wasting away. <laughs> And it's weird. Like you're always like, Oh, I want to lose weight. And you need to lose a few more pounds, but no, it just happens naturally when you get beyond it, you know, in your fifties, it's like, Oh man, I got to lift heavier. I got to eat more, you know, and, and eat more protein and things like that to, to keep my muscles strong. So I can carry myself up those mountains for hours on end, you know, and do 80,000 feet of a climb in a 200 mile race over a period of four days, you know, <laughs> You're just saying numbers that I'm like, no, like, are we driving cars? Are we like even bike, like biking would be arguably easier and that would still be an insane task on a bike yeah. in that amount of time. How do you like physically preparing makes sense? Like, okay, yes. you, you work out, you eat healthy, you add muscle when you need to add. How do you prepare mentally? How does someone who is thinking about this and listening prepare it's fine dogs are dogs we love we love dogs here at the show um how do they prepare for this mentally you just got to get out there and be alone in in the environment you're going to be training in so i i do a lot of solo like 100 mile runs where i live to prepare me for my 200 milers and i'll have friends come out and maybe go at nighttime with me but i'm out there all day you know during the day you know i'm if i do 100 miles around town it usually takes me anywhere from like 28 to 36 hours, depending upon where I do it. But my friends will come out and join me and 
that's your mental training is going, you know, being able to be out there by yourself and get through, you know, the hard times or I'll do multiple days of like, I'll do a 50 mile day and then sleep for several hours, then get up and go again, like you would in a 200 and, you know, do another 50 miler. And it's, you know, it's the same type of training. It's, it's good to train like that when you're doing a 200. I always tell people you don't have to do, you know, super high mileage, but you should do some of these back to back, like 50 mile runs and then go the next day and know that once you slept that you can get up and go again. Cause people, that's what people fear in like a 200 mile race. I'm not going to be able to, once I lay down and then I'm going to be stiff. Cause they, they think after they finish a two, a hundred mile or you're trying to walk around and you're like limping all over the place. And they're like, how am I going to go another hundred when I feel th- this certain way at the end of a hundred miles. And it's like, you have to practice, you have to train with minimal sleep and training on your tired body. Otherwise you're not going to know. And your body is amazing. Trust me. Like it can do so much more than we even think, you know, it's just like your mind kind of stops you like, Oh, that's not good. I can't, shouldn't do that. That's hurting myself. But your body is so much more capable you know, on, I wasn't super trained for Tahoe this year. This was like my, because I moved the race and they moved it to June this year. So normally it's in September. So you start the triple crown of 200s is August is Bigfoot in Washington. Then September is Tahoe, Tahoe, around Tahoe, Lake Tahoe. And then October is Moab 240. Well, they moved it to June. So a lot of us weren't able to get like in the back country with all the snow. Like I just, I didn't do as much training as I have been doing now. Like now, like once I finished that 200, now I'm like ready. That was your training. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But I've been getting out in the mountains. Like I'm going out um, on Monday for four days with my backpack, like, you know, with just whatever I need to carry for the four days I'm out there to eat. I have to carry like a, a canister, a beer canister. So, you know, it's required in Yosemite National Park. So, but I put everything in my pack with my small tent and all that. And I'll just do like 25 or 30 35 miles a day and sleep and then go again. And this is carrying a heavy pack. So that's kind of like the weight training part of it. Cause I'll be doing just hiking up and then trying to run just the downhills. I mean, even the flats is a little hard with the pack, especially I'm not trained with my pack. <laughs> I went out yesterday with it in the heat and I was like, okay, I got a new, you know, pack. It's a minimalist pack by six moons design. And it feels really comfy. And I was like, okay, yeah, but I'm not going to know until I'm out there for four days, like really like how dialed in it is, but it feels good. It, the concept is they make it like a running vest. So the, the okay. vest part is just like, you know, my Nathan hydration running vest. So it, it feels very comfortable. So I'm excited to try it out, but yeah, so I'll go out yeah, by hopefully. myself. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to go out for, I have, you know, 10 days, but my friend who does my hair is coming on Friday, next Friday. So I have to get my hair done. <laughs> so I had to cut it short. I'm like, dang it. I have to go only, I only have four, actually five days. So four nights, five days to get out of the wilderness. And then she'll be at my house Friday night. So I'm like, <laughs> but that's good enough. I mean, that'll be perfect training. Yeah. And sometimes, and maybe I don't know, but like sometimes less <laughs> is more like, yes, it is. Well, but on Friday night, this coming Friday, I'm going to go out and do uh, what's called the evolution evolution loop in the Eastern Sierras. And it's uh, got a lot of climb in it and it's around, they call it the hundred K, but it's 58 miles, but it'll take like 20 hours to do it. Like just carrying minimal gear, just your food and stuff that you need. And a bunch of us are going to go out there and do it. And that'll be like a big training for, for Bigfoot. <laughs> so you got to, and then come home for a couple of days and then go again. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's <laughs> that's all... how you do. You just, you just have to train your body and really even you could do it if you wanted to. And that's what I tell people. I go, the thing that stops everybody is cause they're like, I could never do that. And it's like, no, actually you could, you just don't want to, because, but you could, you know, yeah, I no would agree excuse. with that. Like I, I, yeah. mean, I could, I just, I, I have no, it doesn't appeal to me at all. You don't have uh, a desire. Yeah. Like my retired senior wiener dog, who's 16, 16 years old, Truman, he ran five fifty Ks. He has four inch legs, weighs like less than nine pounds. And if he can run 31 miles, like who would have ever thought? I mean, I never thought he would be able to go that far, but he used to, you know, when I was fostering him and then adopting him when he was six and a half, he just loved to be out there with me. So I built him up, built him up his mileage, like a person. And I thought, 
you know what? He's already doing 22. He could definitely do a 50 K, you know, in the right conditions and just making sure that I'm taking care of him. Cause he was doing 22, 25 miles in the mountains, like a That's flat 50 K, you know? Yeah, it is. But he's retired. <laughs> he's retired. Yeah. they. But but I always use him to tell people when they say, oh, I could never run an ultra marathon. I'm like, this guy, 16 years and four months, he ran his last ultra when he was 12. So, yeah, whatever. So <laughs> we can do it. We don't want to. And that's, I think, mm -hmm. the better term. And I would agree to that exactly. 100%. Like if someone told me I had to or like there was a real reason that I should go and do it, I could do it. Um, yeah, exactly. But I just you already don't. have a base. Yeah. And I love <laughs> suffering. Like, so I understand that part of it. Like yes. I, I love the suffering, but the long treacherous bike rides and the long ski tours, but to yeah, me, so you know how it is. <laughs> but to me, I get a reward. Like if I do a big ski tour, I get to ski down. So That's like, true. So you got to like, go up and then you have that quick down <laughs> yeah and maybe it's the mental that like that is yeah. my goal the goal well, is the finish the line. running yeah but you're going you... up mountains and then you're like yes i get to go down now the yeah but running down hurts and... too like i think yeah. running down <laughs> probably hurts more <laughs> like that's like a yeah, quad you're right. burner <laughs> yeah i don't know i it's it's always <laughs> fascinating and it's always it more fascinates me when people become like they only want to do long distances. Like you're like, I've never ran a 5k. You're like, it, that doesn't, it doesn't excite you, which is like, yeah. Awesome. Like, I'm, I don't know. There's no judgment, but it's just like, not on like a Tuesday, you know, just go like do a fun run or I guess a long well, run. I, mean, is I a fun do run. short, I do short distance like that with my dogs, <laughs> but I've never done like a race, like okay. a 5k official race. But yes, I've run, in fact, Truman could only go like two miles now because he's gotten much older and he's got all this heart issues. But um, we go out two miles every day. That's all he does. Oh, there was a tick on my dog. Sorry. Uh oh, get it. <laughs> I got it off. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to backtrack to childhood. Are you playing sports? Mm -hmm. What does this look like? No, I, oh my God, no. I hated sports. My parents forced me to play soccer. Um, I like dance. So that was my thing when I was a little girl. I like dance and whoops, sorry. I'm getting this tick and drowning. You're fine. <laughs> I'm sidetracked. So, um, I love dance. And then my parents were like, she's so quiet. She's always sitting in the room, reading a book and we need to get her in team sports. And my father was a, a, a soccer coach and my brother was the athlete, you know, he ran and did all that. And he was younger than me. So they stuck me in group sports and I hated it. I absolutely, I had played soccer and softball and I absolutely hated running. So I would sit on the sideline and complain and whine. I'm like, I don't want to play. I don't want to run. I hate it. I don't, you know, and then as I got older, like in high school, you have to do, you know, PE and they're like making you run. And I would not even dress up. I'm like, sorry, I'm not running. <laughs> That's how bad I was. I hated, hated, absolutely hated running. So and I have friends that I went to high school with that were like older than me that were one of the guys. He's actually a runner now. And he was like a big, you know, sports guy in high school. And so I would, when I was my sophomore year, he was like the assistant coach, you know, he was a senior and he would try to get me to dress to do the runs. And I was like, Nope. So I'm like, I'll take an F I'll take a no show. I'll cut class. I'm not running. And so, you know, when he sees me doing races, he always laughs. He's like, you of all the people who would have ever thought you'd become this runner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just wild how life works. Right. And like, yes, your youth is completely different than your midlife right now. Like, Oh, totally. How, where does, and we don't have to talk too much about it if you don't want to, but yeah, where does, I'm fine. Where does addiction come into play? So growing up, I mean, I had a great family. My parents were awesome. I was molested when I was nine years old from a family friend. And so I think having something traumatic like that happen to you when you're a child, it changes your life. You know, you're scared to tell your parents because the person, that you trust is telling you like, Hey, you know, you can't tell anybody, you know, I'm going to hurt your parents or whatever. So I think growing up 
that kind of changed me then. So as I became a teenager and I had two older sisters, it was like, I started drinking, you know, and I started partying and just got into that whole crowd because of what happened in my earlier years and not talking about it. So um, started partying when I was in high school and never got really into drugs other than I was drinking a lot. And then I just happened to meet this guy and he was doing math all the time. And in my twenties, I started doing math and got addicted very quickly. You know, it was all night, you know, I wanted to go out dancing. So you're awake all night partying. So I using that, it got me, you know, it made me feel good about myself. It's like, you know, you don't have to deal with things in your past. It's like, you feel like you're, you know, in the beginning, like it's just this amazing thing. You just feel like superhuman, you know, you can stay awake all night and chatty, 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 you know, talking all night, you know, and, and once you become a full blown addict, it's not fun anymore. That's all you're doing is like waiting for that next fix. And me and my ex-boyfriend, we were uh, dealing speed. So we were drug dealers and one of our friends didn't want to turn in the, like the big wig, you know, the guy that we were getting all of our drugs from, we were just small time dealing to our friends so we could get free drugs kind of thing. And he lied to the police and said that um, he got it from us and that we were these big time dealers. So they came in like an episode of cops busting down the door kind of thing, thinking that they were busting some big time dealers. And I actually did the sell over the phone. So that's how my name got involved because the guy had called and the police were there and, you know, and I'm like, yeah, we got some. So like two days later, they come rolling in, you know, and so we both got arrested and then they realized we were living at um, his parents' house that this, we weren't the people that they were looking for, you know, that this guy totally lied and But anyways, I mean, still, we were dealing drugs. So we got arrested and went to jail. And my boyfriend actually ended up taking all the blame. And usually the judge doesn't, you get equally charged. But since I didn't have a record and I had a job, they decided to give me drug diversion, which was the best thing for me. Because at that point, I had been doing speed like three years and I couldn't quit. Not on my own. There was, and there was no reason for me to quit. I'm like, this is my life. I'm just going to be this doing speed the rest of my life. And this is how it is. I have no desire to quit and I can't quit, you know? So got scared straight, basically spending time in jail. Um, and then getting the drug diversion really changed my life. You know, I was doing outpatient therapy, uh, going to NA or AA every day and met a really good therapist. And that basically changed me. I was able to talk about what happened in my past because we don't grow up wanting to be a drug addict. There's a reason all people turn to become, you know, drug addicts. You don't wake up and say, I want to be an alcoholic when I grow up or I want to be a drug addict. But it's usually something that has happened in your past to make you have to suppress something. And so talking and being open about that really helped change me. And I was so grateful that that happened. And I always tell people, you know, all everything that happened in my life was supposed to happen because I wouldn't be right here right now. I would have never found running had I not had to get off of drugs. I would have never got on drugs had I not. I mean, it was horrible that I was molested, but that all was part of my life to shape me who I am today. And that's why I do so well in these 200s. I was trained. I was tell people I was training. I was awake for three time- days at a time, you know, hallucinating. <laughs> So I already had that down. So it's nothing weird for me when I start hallucinating. It's like, I don't believe those hallucination people that were never on drugs. Like I was that are new to doing these long distance. They're like, Oh my God, they think they're seeing things and they're talking to things. And I'm like, no, that's not really there. I I know it's not there. I just know, you know, but they get wrapped up in their hallucinations. And I'm like, no, no, no. When I was on drugs, it was way worse. (laughs) It's amazing that you have such an amazing attitude about that entire story. Yeah, you have to. You really do. To move forward in life, I could be stuck in my past. And I tell people that. I'm like, you cannot hold on to stuff like that. Because if you do, you only are here once. It's like you're going to have a horrible life and it's going to be so sad. I hate seeing people stuck and not you know, talking, it's, it's so important that if something like that happens in your past, 
that you talk about it, find a professional that can help you give you the tools to work through it. Cause then once you work through it, you feel like a huge weight lifted off of you, you know, and, and you can, like me, I can help others. Like I talk so openly about it because I have my book, you know, and it's helped so many people, you know, people come to me all the time. Well, that happened, this happened to me. And we see that you got through it, then we can get through it, you know? So, and, and that's why I wrote my story. It's like so many people can't voice their story because they have a family or they have a certain job or they, you know, they can't be out like I am. And my mom, when she was alive, she's like, why do you always have to tell everybody all this stuff about you? And I'm like, because it's going to help somebody. And surely it did, you know, it has. Yeah. So. And, and arguably it helped you. Like you're not yeah, whole- for certain. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, you know, I can't attest to that situation, but I just love that you uh-huh. said you found a good therapist and like, I think we're, we're turning the corner on that now. Like people are yep. going to therapy and mental health matters and people aren't embarrassed to say they go to a therapist. And it's like, mm. I still yeah. haven't found the proper way to say this because someone just called me out on it earlier, which I'm okay with. But it was like, you know, if you, if your leg was broken, you'd get it fixed. Yes. So like, if your if your mind is broken, you get it fixed. Like, go to a doctor. You have to. And yeah. <laughs> someone shined light on that. That like, hey, we don't like we don't want people to say that our minds are broken. So I apologize. But like, I'm trying to find. My brain is very simple when it comes to that. Like, if I have a broken yeah. ankle, I go to the doctor. If something isn't, I don't want to say isn't right, but isn't properly working within my mental state, and I can go to someone, even just talking to a stranger, and that can help. Like. It does. I'm so glad that we're finally, or I shouldn't say fine, but we're almost there as a society that like, it's okay. We are. It's okay. We're getting there, especially after, you know, after the pandemic, so many people online, you have to do it and people feel more comfortable doing it online, which I think we have these tools now, these phones, the zoom and whatever. And that's great. You don't have to drive an hour away to go talk to somebody. You can meet somebody online and, and, and discuss it with them then. And I think that that's how I do it now, but that it just is so awesome that you don't have to try to find somebody you can look through, you know, an app and find and choose, and then kind of talk to them online and see if that person is your right fit. That's going to be able to help you. So we have changed as a society because so many people losing their jobs or out of work and we're stuck home with their kids and having to be teachers. Like people that didn't have mental health issues had mental health issues. Like we understand because we've had it all of our, you know, however many years or or most of our lives, but this was all new for people that were stuck in their house and couldn't move. That was horrible for a lot of people. I mean, thank God I live where I live. I was able to get out and run on the trails. I wouldn't see anybody at all. Like I still go running now and I don't see anybody. So but, you know, in the bigger cities, it's like you were locked down. You couldn't go out on a trail. You couldn't go, you know, out of your house. And it's like, you know, thank God that I was still able to run. <laughs> For sure. And it's, yeah, it's it's just refreshing that people are, it's okay to not be okay. And that's exactly. the greatest, dumbest slogan ever. But like, it's I love okay. that slogan. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it is. it's okay. Like, just. And I've learned, you know, you just learn, you keep learning and keep growing and keep advancing with your friends and like call your friends or if your friend seems off, like tell them yep. and you don't have to, but like, it's, it's nice that we're at least in our outdoor community, we can say that, that we're really making strides for people to understand not everyone is okay all the time. And that is perfectly exactly. okay. And you don't feel alone anymore because of social media. You have, you, there's. Facebook groups and whatever, you know, it's like we have so many, we see so many other people having the same issue. So you don't feel alone. Like my early years, I always felt alone. You know, there wasn't any social media. It was going to my therapist. So all I had was my therapist and nobody else around me would understand because they weren't, they didn't have the same issue I had or, you know, so, but now it's like, so many of us can relate to each other, you know, yeah, and we just, can help each other. It's so much easier to find them now. Like when you were going yes. through it, your <laughs> group of friends were the people you probably shouldn't be hanging out with anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and to find that new, new group of friends was a lot more difficult than, and I'm yes. speculating, but. Yeah, no. Cause it was like, I, I isolated myself 
because I couldn't hang around. I mean, the minute you get sober, you can't hang around with any of those people. You know, you can't go to those same places. You're not allowed. I mean, that's not how you can end up being successful in sobriety is being around those people. And so I got rid of all of my friends. I moved back to Fremont from San Jose and I, you know, I started working out in a gym. I had like one friend, my friend, Kevin, and we hung out and worked out and stuff. And then two years after I had been working out in a gym and all of that, I started running and it was still, it was another, I want to say year and a half. Cause it was an, until I started running ultras. Did I start meeting people? You know, I started doing marathons and I occasionally meet a person, but I would, I didn't end up running with anybody until I started training for Western States in 2000. That was when I met other runners. And at that point I had started running in 98. So I was just by myself. And then I was like, Oh, wow they're doing all these weird long runs and back to back stuff. So that's when I started learning more about, Oh, this is how they train. They're doing this and that and the other. And, and so, you know, you find your tribe and it was all positive people. And I'm hanging out with attorneys. I'm hanging out with judges. I'm hanging out with people I would have never hung out with. And it's because we have this common thing, you know, running and we're all into this crazy sport of running. And so it's like, you, with that sport, it's like you have so many different people, you know, like. Do you it's think it's insane? Do you think. <laughs> let me ask this. If it wasn't running, what do you what what else would it have been? Because clearly running filled a void. I don't I don't yeah. say it's your new addiction because I think it's more of a maybe even more of a coping mechanism than an addiction. Yeah, yeah it is. It was a therapy for me running like being out and um, being on my own and thinking and planning and all of that. So I look at it like that, but you know, I don't think there would have been something else. I don't know what else I would have done. Like, thank God I have running because I don't know. I really don't know, to be honest with you there. I mean, I was working out in the gym, but that was just like too boring for me being inside. And, you know, once I went to Yosemite for the first time, you know, I wasn't even running then. So Maybe I would have got more because I started hiking then. So I would have been more into that. But just, you know, the whole running thing, I just felt like, wow, you know, it was exhilarating. It, you know, at a faster pace, I can get from point A to point B and see all these things just as well. But be there instead of taking six hours, I'll be there in three hours, you know? Yeah, it's it's crazy when something so simple, we'll say, as running. Yeah can literally save someone's life. Like when you say there's yep. nothing else, like that to me is like, yeah. if you didn't find running, who knows? Yeah, I probably right would have somehow been influenced back into like, oh, I could go out and go to a club and maybe <laughs> I can have a drink. You know, that probably would have happened because I would have ended up meeting different people. I mean, I'm, I'm meeting runners and these people are not clearly, I mean, most of them aren't drug addicts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> You know, it's a little hard to do 200 miles and be a meth head. I don't think that would happen. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not going to be motivated. <laughs> but yeah, like so works. you're around other people and and it's inspiring you to keep, you know, like, oh, yeah. But yeah, I probably would have ended up back into the club scene somehow. That's all I can say is like, thank God I found running because I... Like I said, I only had one friend and I, clearly I would have had to meet people and I might have met the wrong person again at the you know wrong time. Like another guy that would have steered me off in the wrong direction kind of thing. That's so crazy. Well, thank so goodness thank, you yes, found Yes, I found running. running. <laughs> I know. Um, Long distance. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing all of that because that is, I'm You're sure welcome. you've done it a thousand times, but every time. And I, I thank like you doing from the it every time heart. somebody, somebody will hear it and they will they will, you know, understand and feel they're not alone. Yeah. So thank you. We will pivot now. I want to talk about vegan, veganism, yes. the whole thing. <laughs> I get it. I actually get this. I understand it. I am not a vegan, but I get it. How much easier? What first question? This is just, how much easier is it to be a vegan now in 2022 than it was? <laughs> 10 years. So ago. much easier. So, well, it's been 28 years for me. So I became a vegetarian when I was very young. So I was involved in something called 4-H. My sisters were in Future Farmers of America. So we raised cattle. We raised, 
like I had sheep that I would show at the fair and all of that. Well, with club. The, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> originally we had all this, we bought like a whole bunch of cattle. And so we had all these stairs and then they all got sold. And there was this one, I named him Charlie and he was white and he was at the, the ranch where he kept all of our animals. And one day he was gone and I'm like, well, I'm having a Charlie. And my brother said, Charlie is in the freezer. And I'm like, no, he's not. And so he took me, when we were at home, he took me to the meat freezer and opened it up and it was totally full. And he goes, Charlie's in the freezer. And I was like, what? and so I went to my parents. I'm like, there's Charlie in the freezer. And they looked at each other because they always told me, don't name these. Those are not pets. Like those were just, they were selling yeah. to make money for the meat. And like my 4-H animals, you know, that, that was different. You know, we named them. And so my parents were like, uh, they, I don't even think they said yes or no at that point. But then I was like, I'm not eating hamburgers ever again. Like nothing that was in that freezer was I going to eat. So my mom was Italian. She would make like meatballs and spaghetti, but I wouldn't have a meatball. But there was clearly meat in, in there still. But I was so young that I didn't associate that. But I wouldn't like if we went to McDonald's, I got a fish filet. So I was not eating hamburger at all. And then I was in my 4-H, I realized, so I sold my lamb and this boy came up to me and we were staying at the fairgrounds and I was like nine and my sisters were staying there too in the dorms and like a, an older kid, he was a teenager, probably 13. He goes, you know, they're going to eat him. And I was like, no, they're not. And he goes, yeah, that's what they do. And see, I had no concept when I was involved with animals. I never, ever even thought I thought they just took him and kept 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 him as a pet like I did you know and then I was like oh my god I so I had a meltdown and then my dad went I and I can only speculate and guess to this day but I think he told the guy to tell me that he wasn't going to eat him and he was going to use him for a stud because the guy came to me and he's like no we're not going to eat Roscoe he's going to be a stud and then he explained like he's going to live on the ranch and so then after that, though, I wouldn't eat lamb. So it it was starting at a very young age. You know, I was going towards that. And that was long before I ever even knew the word vegan or vegetarian. So then when I was on drugs, it was a conversation me and my friend Katrina would have a lot like, oh, we should go vegan. We're, you know, so we were pretty much full on vegetarian. You know, I would do dairy and I think milk or whatever once in a while, but I was pretty much already heading towards the vegan direction. And really once I got out of jail, I decided, okay, I'm going vegan today. That was it. Like that day, pretty much the next day I was vegan. So, and that's kind of how it started for me. So it was all because of growing up and the animals and, you know, and then, so there was not a lot of choices of food. So you had like tofu, everything or soy milk. There was no almond milk, oat milk like we have it all and by the way i couldn't eat i had a wheat intolerance so every all those fake meats early on all had wheat in them and i didn't do a lot of tofu because it just i my stomach can't digest a lot of it like occasionally i could have a little bit of soy milk but i couldn't eat just like tofu so it was very hard for me so it was just lots of salads <laughs> like lots of fruits and vegetables um but now it's so much easier so even friends that are meat eaters, they try the the um, meat alternatives, the plant-based meats, and they're like, this is good. Like, they're like, this tastes actually like meat. Oh, yeah. It's so, so it's so much easier now for people. People don't realize, like, if you're becoming vegan now, it's so easy. So easy. So much, you know, you know, like we have all these great protein powders that are like rice protein, different kinds of pea protein. You know, you only got the choice of soy back in my day. And it was like, well, I'm just not doing protein powders because I'm not having soy. So, so it's so much better. Yes. To be able to be healthy and vegan, it's so much easier now for do, sure. Do you feel that it helps you as an athlete? You know, I know people, I get this question all the time, but I don't know any other way. I've always been vegan. Great answer. So it wasn't, yeah. So I have friends that are, you know, and I get asked that a lot. I'm like, I've always been vegan before I was even a runner. So, you know, and a lot of people that have transitioned, definitely it's, it's either hit or miss. And I, I always wonder, I'm like, well, why isn't it working for them? I think they just don't want to do it, you know, or they just aren't putting an effort to try to just be vegan. Cause they're like, oh, I can't do all these fruits and vegetables and meats and you know 
but it's, I'm sure it takes time for your digestion and your body to get used to eating more fruits and vegetables when it's healthier for you anyways. But yeah, if you eat a ton of vegetables all day long, yeah, your stomach's going to be like, ah, you know, like a lot of broccoli or whatever, but it's good for you. But once you, you know, you, your digestive system, you know, steps up and, and is able to digest everything, then it works better. And taking digestive enzymes, I always tell people when you become a vegan or you're changing your diet, take digestive enzymes because that will help break down things for you. And that way you won't have all these stomach issues, you know? Yeah. You have to commit to it. It's just like anything, yeah. but like it's yeah. just because And I you- tell people don't do it all at once. Like, you know, because that's setting up for failure. I mean, I did it all at once because it was already transitioning that direction. So it was no big deal for me. But if you just say, you know, tell, try like maybe vegan three days a week, you know, and just to see like how you do and then set your mind up like I'm going to become vegan. My boyfriend became vegan when he met me six years ago. Oh. And he was like... He, yeah, he wasn't a vegan before, but he's like, yeah, I want to start eating healthier anyways. And he never had an issue. He became like just he's like he was already committed to wanting to be healthier anyway. So so he was already on board with all these fake meats and stuff. So he it was easier for him. So it's not a problem at all because he likes making the little sausages and all those crazy things. And so it was fine for him. Yeah, I think meat is like lazy sometimes. Like if someone if I had a chef, if there was some alternate universe where like i just had a cook i would probably be vegan but i'm lazy and i'm like i can just grab yes. a sandwich or like because like, yeah. once you, you get don't it have to think about like oh is that you know i can't have cheese or i mean they have so many good cheeses now too all the vegan cheeses oh i'm all amazing. for it like one of my good and friends they didn't have vegan. that back in my day there was no i don't even know i think there might have been a soy vegan cheese but i don't even but remember it was seeing stuff like that you know, I worked at Whole Foods since 1999 and all that wasn't even in there. It was mostly soy based when I started working there and then it exploded. Like you had this small section in the the cooler and now it's like you have wall to wall of just vegan cheese, like, you know, specialty cheeses that are vegan out of almonds and, you know, nuts and everything else. Yeah. It's, it's gotten so much. It's, it's great. I have no issue. One of my good friends who I camp with all the time. He's got a van, so we travel in our vans together. Mm-hmm. He's vegan, so I'm not kind of like, not that he cares. It's just easier. Let's just cook a vegan meal yeah. so we can both eat it. And like, it's, fan- I have no- it's amazing. Like, if anyone's never had like one of the Beyond Brats, this isn't an ad, but like, yeah. they're great. My boyfriend they're, loves those. They're yeah. so good. <laughs> people uh, love them, and they don't realize that they're not vegan. If you sat stuff like that and let people try it, they're going to still say that tastes good. Like, oh, back I in went- the day, you're the fake meat stuff in the early times you're like oh gross what is this? yeah it was rough. Even I me, cooked, i'm like i don't want that i cooked a vegan chili we all went camping there was like 30 of us <laughs> we went camping i had it in the crock pot i didn't tell anyone it was vegan like i'm not telling a soul and <laughs> everyone ate it and like i told my buddy it was vegan so he could eat it but, yeah exactly but the the friend groups didn't really know he was vegan so it wasn't a dead giveaway you know like <laughs> why is pat eating this <laughs> Uh, oh, I said his name. Pat will be like, oh, but whatever. But I made it. And then they're like, this is amazing. You got to give him this recipe and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, then I told them, okay. I was like, oh, it's vegan. And they're all like camo wearing, you know, like <laughs> yeah. farmer guys. guys. And I was like, yeah, see, like, it's fine. Like, you just have to, you know, like, it's sure. That's the key. Yeah, like, they, If you tell somebody, then they're like, oh, that's not good. You know, if they don't know. It's so. whatever. But people are more open to it now, though. For sure. It's so, so much more open, you know, because now, you know, people that I know knew are now parents and now their kids are becoming wanting to be vegan. And they're like, can you, you know, talk to my kid? They have questions about being vegan because they're not vegan. But then the parents are like, OK, well, we'll do vegan a couple of times a week for us. And then they end up transitioning to where they're mostly vegan just out of making the meals for their kids that want to be vegan, you know, and eat healthier because they watch all these documentaries and you see what happens to the animals, you yeah, know, and that, that has changed a lot of people's minds. <laughs> for sure. It, it makes me, yeah. I'm like, I'm a meat eater. And then I watch these. I'm like, well, I don't like that. Like, I don't like yeah. commercial farming is bad. I think every yes. meat eater can agree with that. For um, sure. You know, that's a whole nother free range. Podcast. Yes. That's a whole yeah. nother podcast. Exactly. Uh, I have you for a couple more minutes. I don't want to take too much of your time. I want to ask okay. you a couple more questions. Sure. 
I may have asked you this, but do you think you've run more miles than any other human right now? No. Like, there's people that have run way more. I'm even on a running streak, and there's people that have had running streaks for like 40 years. I'm only at uh, November 9th. There'll be 10 years oh, for me. You run so, every day. Yes, minimum. So in order to like you know, like the definition, you have to run one mile a day. And I usually run more than that. So, you know, even if they take the dogs out, we do a few miles. What would you so say? So the ones that run. Your averages. A year, I run anywhere between four, like 4,000 to 5,500 miles a year. People don't put that on their cars. I know. <laughs> How are your knees? Fine. I know people always ask that. <laughs> so, I mean, as you get older, I think because I run on trail too. So running on the road where you have just like a same gait the whole entire time, you're not going up and down. Like you are in the mountains, you're like moving your body, working all your different muscle groups. It, I think you have more longevity in a running sport. People that I know that are like fast speed runners on the road and they're constantly injured or they have issues, knee issues. You know, I get a sore knee here and there, like in the two hundreds, I'll wear like a knee strap just from all the downhill. And that's more where my knee occasionally, my left knee starts hurting on the downhill, but there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. There's like, it's not a chronic thing, but I'll put a strap just because I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to go do, you know, 8,000, 10,000 feet of climb in the mountains. It's all technical downhill just to make sure I don't have an issue. Yeah. Preventative. How many? Yes. And I, and I take supplements like that, like turmeric and all these crazy things from working at whole foods for 23 years in nutrition. I've always taken tons of supplements. I, people are like, you take so many. I'm like, I don't know. I think it works. It's working for me. I'm just sticking with my regimen. I've had all these years. Yeah. How many miles did you run this year? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's exactly. The, how when many, you run a two, when you run all these two hundreds, then you talk to yeah. me about <laughs> issues. How many ultras do you think you've done, or do you know how many ultras you've done? Oh yeah, I've run over three hundred, I think three hundred and something. Yeah, that stresses me out. <laughs> That's like I've run over one hundred, hundred milers or more, like around one hundred and sixty times. So, and I've done. 17 200s now and that's i'm trying i'm thinking well maybe i can get up to 50 200s at some point i don't think i can get to 100 unless i did a whole bunch of them because that takes a lot of time running 200 miles yeah so i told myself yeah i would like to get to like 50 200s so we'll see <laughs> what continues to motivate you you know just being lucky enough to have a a, a second lease on life and just knowing that I'm only here one time and, you know, so many people that I've been close to friends have died of cancer, things like that, you know, and, and I just think, you know what, I'm still alive. So I'm still going to keep moving and I'm going to still keep running until I can't. And then when I can't, I'll just hike, you know, I'll do whatever I can do. But I just feel like so many people want to be doing what I'm doing and they can't, they have an illness, they have something going on on or they just it, they don't have the time to train so I just feel like you know I have no excuse and I love being outdoors and I don't want to miss anything like when I go out on my trail because now I live in Bishop and everything is a trail around me I just go god you know I might miss seeing that deer or miss seeing that coyote or miss seeing that mountain lion or whatever you know if I don't get out the door and it's like wow you know you see so much nature around you and and I just feel blessed so there's you know, I love being outdoors, so I'm just going to do it while I can still do it, you know, because one day it'll be taken away, you know, and so I'm just grateful that I can do this now. That I mean, that's like the greatest answer I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> it's just real. Um, where was it? Okay. What do you feel to this date is your greatest accomplishment? Well non-running related, I would say being clean and sober for 28 years is one of my, that's my greatest accomplishment. I mean, there's been so many times where the old me would have just went back out, like not been strong enough to continue like with the sobriety, you know, my, finding my mom dead, th just things like where I could have made excuses to go back out, 
but I didn't. I, I dealt with my feelings, dealt with whatever I had to go through. And, you know, and, and I know if I didn't stay sober and drug and alcohol free, I would lose my running. I wouldn't have that, this gift to be able to do what I do. So that's my biggest accomplishment. So is and remaining clean and sober for 28 years, which is a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah. When it was 10, I started. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like doing math. I'm like, okay, I got it. I know. Now 57. Is there anything- Yeah, I know. I tell people that and then they're like, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> like, oh God. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Is yeah. there anything that you bring with you on every run that you don't necessarily need? Uh, oh, I bring a lot of stuff. So when I'm in the mountains, you always have to carry extra stuff in case something happens. So when I go out on a 20-mile run up in the mountains, a storm could come in. You get these monsoons in the summer. So I carry, I always carry like a spot device. So, or an inreach, yep. you know, something that if something happens to me, I can press a button. If I break a leg and I'm stranded out in the middle of the wilderness, God forbid, I would, of course, try to get myself out first. But I carry what I call my required gear. So I carry a bivy bag, I carry a rain jacket, I carry rain pants. I mean, people are like, God, you carry so much extra stuff. I'm like, you don't know how many times I have been lucky enough to survive the wilderness not knowing shit back in my early years, running out and doing what I do. I go, now we have all these fancy things that you, there's no excuse. I don't want somebody to having, having to come and rescue me because I didn't have the proper gear to protect me because there was a rainstorm coming in and I got hypothermia. I have my gear to get me, get myself and get my ass back out of the wilderness, not have people that are volunteers for search and rescue risk their life to come get me because I was so stupid not to know. So there's always 10 essentials you should carry out there. And when you live in the mountains, you learn, you know, it's like I learned through the years, but I got away with so many, so many times being out in the wilderness, being one of the idiots, but surviving. So <laughs> I think that's like a rite of passage though. Like yes. think about all the times you went out and like, you were like, Oh, like you got to get- think everybody should have a, an in reach or a spot device. If you're going where there's no reception or you don't know that there's reception, and I'll tell you why. My boyfriend was in the mountains and he has in reaches. He has spots. He didn't carry one with him. He was out on a run. He fell and broke his off of a, a the rock formation broke off. He fell 30 feet. He crushed his pelvis in 12 places. He crawled. It took him four and a half hours to crawl a mile to get reception with his phone to get rescue up to him had he had his device like if it was me i probably would have died out there because it got cold at night i would have went into shock and got hypothermia had i not had an in reach or something but he was he's a calm person so he was able to crawl and move in pain like uh, the adrenaline eventually wore off when he got the reception and then they had to uh he's actually works for sierra life flight so he's a pilot and that's how you like living in this area you basically the the plane he flies is an air ambulance so his plane had to fly him out <laughs> to go get surgery so i always tell people like he could have died like that's an example that i learned right away i'm like you should have had your thing and you know but he just thought he would have reception and he was just going out for like an hour like yeah, can that's any when time. people die yeah that's when people die and Living here, I hear so many stories of unnecessary deaths. Like a woman a couple of years ago was just out on a day hike up near Mount Whitney. She wasn't going up the mountain. She was just going a couple of miles. Well, somehow she fell on ice and she broke her leg and was. they were looking for her for three days. They eventually found her and she was just like in a yoga outfit and she ended up dying from the exposure. But she was alive when they found her. Had she had an in reach or a spot and she had kids, she could hit that button and she should be here, you know? And that's why I always say, carry it. I mean, I've driven back home because I'm like, oh shit, I don't have my thing with me. And then I freak out. I'm like, I better get home and go get it. And you know? the tech is so good and so yes. affordable now that it's not it is. It as is. crazy there's, as it used to be. There's, yeah. Like, and like I said, just the, the spot device, you just press the button press and it the sends button. the signal like that. 
in reaches and all that, you can type on them. And I have those and I just have to learn how to use those. We have three <laughs> devices, but I just carry the spot because I know bink, you know, and I'll get a rescue. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's a get out of, you know, it's get me out yes. of here. It's an emergency panic button and they're, they're yes. worth it. And they're reasonably priced at this point. And this is not an ad for them, but this is a, no, it's not. We don't want to find anybody. If you're in the in wilderness, the you should have one. Yeah. Um, thank you again. Let's talk yes. sponsors before I let you free, you know, mm-hmm. anybody to thank, obviously sponsors, you know, make this world go around. We have a mutual sponsor with Muir. So we'll chat about that a little bit. Yes. And where can people follow you? I know that was a lot to throw at you. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so we love Muir, of course. Yes. <laughs> and Hoka and Nathan and Drymax socks and, uh, Tailwind nutrition. I mean, I have so many like, sponsors, but Muir is amazing. So everybody tried that. They're vegan. You don't have to be vegan to eat it gluten-free as well, which I absolutely love. And, um, their, their fuel is amazing. I really like it. Um, it actually people can find me. Tastes yeah. good. It tastes good. Yes, it does. Like it's different. It's not syrupy and weird. It's and not a normal it, I like gooey that it's thicker. gel. Yeah. It's like a, no, it's those more are of a, like watering where it's more of a fruit paste, which like doesn't sound yes. appealing either, but it's way <laughs> Better. Like I would like maybe put it on a PBJ. Yes. I've had the jars and I've used that making sandwiches with my gluten-free bread. I used it at Badwater. I was just spooning it two years ago. Like instead of carrying the packets, I was having my crews give me a spoon of it every so many, you know, every hour. (laughs) So, but, and they can find me on Instagram at dirt diva three, three, three. And I'm on Facebook, uh, Katra Corbett. And I have a website, katracorbett.com. And you can buy my book on there, Reborn on the Run. So, and I will, if you order it through me, you can get a signed autographed copy. And Truman, who's actually in the book, my wiener dog, who has done five ultra marathons, he will do a potograph for you if you want that too. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Uh, You wrote the book. Yes. Well, I used a writer (laughs) because of course I run a lot. (laughs) But still, I mean, I worked with a writer. Yes. How do you find the time? I don't want to take more time of your time, but how do you no. find the time? Well, it's all about using voice memo. So we collaborated together and I, I, somebody approached me and said, have you thought about writing a book? And it was a literary agent. And I said, yeah, but I just don't have time. And so they said, you know, you can hire a writer or we, you can use one of our writers. And um, this guy, Danny England, who had followed me around for a few days and wrote this article about me, I really liked his style and we really had a good chemistry. And so I talked to him and I said, how would you like to help me on this project? I said, I'm always running. So I go, the only way I could figure out doing this is we come up with, with what the book is going to be about. And then I basically will tell you my stories on my voice memo and I'm out on my runs. And basically that's how it was a lot of work. We did it in six months. It came out like in a year's time by the time we finished doing everything. And it was a lot of work. But, you know, he would just say, talk about this. And so we knew what our chapters were going to be about. And he's like, just talk about it in detail, you know, because I'm not a writer. And it's like you have to you have to bring the person in and explain all the detail when you're writing. You can't just talk like we were doing an interview because we weren't doing an interview. It was my story. So that's how we did it through my voice memo. And then each time we would finish a chapter, then I would reread it and then change things and then go from there. So it, it was fun. It was fun. And I do want to write another book. So <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, reborn on the run. You can get it on our website. Yes. We will link it below. So everyone go Perfect. buy it and read it. Uh, thank you. Thank you again. I appreciate all your time. And you know, yes. we were back and forth for a minute on scheduling. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>